good day and welcome to the Mercy Hill Podcast. My name is Lawson Harlow and I'm one of the elders here at Mercy Hill Church. What you are about to listen to is a sermon that was preached during our weekly worship services in Olive Branch, Mississippi. We hope that you will be encouraged by the preaching of the word as you aim to follow Jesus and make disciples. For more information about Mercy Hill Church, you can visit mercyhillob.org or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mercyhillchurchob. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning. As we've made our way to this command section of Romans, I do want to remind us of where we have come from, in particularly Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I'd like to read that before we dive into an introduction and then the reading of the text. Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And brothers and sisters, as we have walked through this chapter of Romans thus far, in the midst of being living sacrifices, we have also been reminded that we are members of the family of God that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ is our federal head. He reigns over us. He is king. He is sovereign. And not only do we see this a part of the family of God, we see it as the body of Christ. That in the midst of being brought into this family, we are also brought into the body of Christ, meaning that Christ is reigning, that he is animating, that he is controlling and moving in the church, that he is king yet again. And this morning, what I'd like to do as we approach verse 11 of our text that we would understand what it means to serve the Lord and to serve the Lord, not in a lackluster way, not half-heartedly and not in a cold sense, but instead in the way that he prescribes in this particular text. And brothers and sisters, if you're like me, you have gone through moments of cold. You have gone through moments where your fervency was not as fervent as you would like it to be. You've gone through moments where you felt as though you were living in a perpetual state of slothfulness. And the command, the simple and wonderful command to serve the Lord rang in your ears with absolutely no motion in your souls. And brothers and sisters, as we come to this text this morning, it is my hope to show you that these three commands, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, are not three disjointed commands, but are instead a harmonious statement, a command that leads us to the state of service unto the Lord that he is most pleased with. Because dear saints, we are called to serve the Lord. And it is a great and joyous privilege to serve him. Because remember, there was a moment in your life where it was an impossibility for you to serve the Lord. Because there is nothing that the flesh does that is pleasing unto him. And yet here we stand after working through the glories of the gospel in Romans 1 through 11, being told to serve the Lord, not as though we are incapable, but instead by the power of the spirit, by the warmth that he gives, we are able to go and to serve our king. And so with that said, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Romans chapter 12. I'm going to start in verse 3 and make my way to the end of the chapter. I would remind you, brothers and sisters, that what you have before you is the only infallible rule of faith and practice for the Christian life. Indeed, it is truth with no mixture of error. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same functions. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individual members, one of another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. 
Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let us pray. Father, we come again to a lofty, lofty set of commands. And Lord, I pray that we would first and foremost, as we long to obey them, that we would be warmed by the fire of Christ, that we would delight in him, that we would rejoice in him, that we would be reminded of the reality that that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, that Lord, as we labor in these things, we do not labor to gain a righteousness of our own. No, Lord, we come because we are woefully, endlessly, bountifully grateful unto you. And so, Father, I ask as we come, would you birth in us obedience? Lord, would you murder slothfulness in us? Grant in us a great diligence and a joy and a warmth in serving you. So, Father, I ask all of this in the name of Christ and to his glory. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 11 is where we're going to spend the majority of our time, all of our time today. And the way that I want to do this is I want to show you how these three commands connect with one another. When you're working through Romans chapter 12, really nine through the end of verse 21, you're looking at a list of commands. And as you're looking at this list of commands, there are some that seem to go hand in hand and there are others that seem to be a clear command and then another clear command that are not disjointed in essence, but instead are are commands in a particular area. But I'm convinced that what you have in Romans chapter 12, verse 11 is a string of commands that are important for us to take as a whole, not as separates or individual. And so what I wanna do is I wanna look at what it means to not be slothful, but to be zealous unto the Lord. And then I wanna show you how there is a clear connection between a fervency of spirit and the way that a fervency of spirit births diligence in the saint that leads to faithful servants unto our great God and King. So the very first thing we must do is understand the language that we have before us. So Romans chapter 12, verse 11 starts with this, do not be slothful in zeal. Now, just to be honest with you, I do not think that zeal is the most appropriate word to be translated in this particular text. Instead, the word actually leads itself to more of a phrase of diligence or haste or effort or care or an earnestness. When we see zeal, perhaps it is in your mind, you immediately think of the, the apostles realizing that this Old Testament scriptures make reference to Jesus having a zeal for the house of God. That's a different word that's used in that particular situation. Here, the concept is that there is a, a diligence and earnestness about the service that we give unto our great God and King. So to kind of lay this out for you, there's two passages that I think will give us the overarching thrust of this word. Second Corinthians seven eleven. it says this, for see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. That word earnestness is the very same word that's translated zeal here. Basically what's being communicated is there is a, a deep longing, a desire, a truthful desire, maybe even more so, to do, to obey our Lord and to serve him faithfully. And then Luke one thirty nine, I think, captures the idea of an urgency about this diligence. Luke one thirty nine. in those days, Mary arose and went with haste. The very same word that we have translated here is zeal into the hill countries to a town in Judah. This word diligence, the concept is that there is a genuine earnestness and a desire and a haste about our service unto our great God and King. And brothers and sisters, I would remind you at this point that the days are evil and we do well to make the best use of them. Meaning that we long and have an urgency about our serving of the Lord. We do not live in a lackluster way. We do not live slothfully as we will see here in a moment. The concept, the command that we are zealous unto the service of our King means that we live with the truthful urgency of serving Him. There is no time, and hear me saints, there really is no time to serve the Lord half-heartedly. There is no time, we know not when He will return. And it is our great goal and aim to serve Him faithfully here below, to live earnestly unto Him, to serve Him with great joy and even a longing to serve. That there is not so much a command that is needed to be given as opposed to a lifestyle in which we live unto Him, serving Him, longing to obey Him. And then diligence has an end, doesn't it? Anytime that we're working through the concept of diligence or haste or an earnestness, there seems to be an end goal in mind. 
And as we deal with this concept of a diligence, we need to ask the question, what is the end? What is the longing? What is the earnest desire of a Christian who is serving the Lord? Why is it said that he is done, that he's serving with zeal or with diligence? Well, brothers and sisters, as we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we are diligent to serve and to honor the Lord. This is our end. Do not mistake, do not misunderstand. We have one great end. It is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And one of the most clear ways that we glorify Him is by submitting to His command, authority, and rule, and by obeying Him. We have the great privilege to serve Him. And as we serve Him, we do so because we long to honor the Lord with our life. We have been bought with His blood and having been bought with His blood, our only reasonable response is to give ourselves over unto Him or perhaps to make it clear in the language of Romans 12, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices unto Him. We make this our aim. This is the end of our diligence. This is what the Christian heart that is appropriately ordered is longing for. And then to bring it to one conclusion, the Christian diligently labors unto the glory of God. Now, this is vital to our understanding. We do not labor as, a, as an end into itself. No, dear saints, we labor to the end of the glory of God. And if we have a, if we have a different end, I assure you, you will not labor faithfully. If we replace the end of the glory of God with some other nature, perhaps it would be to be seen or perhaps it would be to be particularly pragmatic in our day to be at peace with the world. Dear Saint, that will not be a true service unto God. A true service unto God, a diligence to labor unto Him means that the end of our labor is His glory. And as the end of our labor is His glory, that means that we will serve Him with honor and we will serve Him in the ways that He has prescribed. Perhaps it is that you have experienced various people, especially in the last couple of days, that are saying and giving you various ways that we should be serving the Lord. Let me make this clear, dear saint. If we are aiming to serve the Lord, we go by His book. We do not take cues from the world. We do not bow to various pragmatic responses. We have a king. And in the midst of having a king, we bow to his authority and we are diligent in our labor and our service unto him in the ways that he has prescribed. We never substitute worldly ideologies and thoughts and ideas and concepts. No, we simply bow to the king. As we work through the rest of this, hear me, that perhaps it is that you'll read through this list of commands that we will look at over the following months and you will think, ah, but... I don't really know how that one plays out for me right now. It doesn't matter how it plays out for you right now. Faithfulness is the command. If our end is the glory of God, I assure you we will not glorify Him by disobeying Him. No, we submit to His authority, we submit to His reign, and we do so with a blood earnestness, a diligence, a longing. And one of the things that you'll notice in the midst of this, these, if I were to sum up this verse, it would be that we are to serve our king with diligence and fervency. That's the simple way that he's communicating this. But then he gives us the great enemy, the great enemy of diligence. And it's this word slothful. Can I give you an illustration of this word slothful? The Lord Jesus used it in Matthew chapter 25, verses 24 through 30. I'd like to read this section to you. And I imagine most of you will be immediately placed in the context. Matthew 25, 24 through 30. He also, who had received the one talent, this is the parable of the talents, came forward saying, Master, listen to this man, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has, who has will more be given and he, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has shall be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, into that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hear this phrase in verse 26. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Perish the thought. This servant, instead of being diligent with what the master entrusted to him, instead 
misappropriating and misunderstanding the master of the house, he goes and buries it. And here's what's so interesting about this. He looks at the master and gives some concept, some idea as to why he was not diligent in what he was given. But was that the real reason? No, dear saint. The master is not in error when he looks back at him and says, you wicked and slothful servant. The issue is that he was slothful. He did not desire to serve the master faithfully. Instead, he would accuse the master. He would say that he was not righteous or good. Instead, he would call him a liar. The reality is, brothers and sisters, when we look at this phrase, when we consider this concept of a slothfulness in the Christian life, this is how, it, how we should understand it. You wicked and slothful servant. And hear me, saint, if we understand this word, it should be our great aim to never hear this phrase. To never hear this phrase. In what area of life can we be given over to slothfulness? In this slothfulness is the antithesis. It is the opposite of a diligent service unto our God. But what I want to do for just a minute is I want to pastorally for a moment warn you against the folly and end of slothfulness. Because we can read through this quickly and we can say, yes, certainly it should be our aim to be diligent unto the Lord. But brothers and sisters, what we need to do is hear the warning the apostle Paul gives us here. And certainly not pretend that we are above this slothfulness. So what I'd like to do for just a minute is I want to lay out the concept of slothfulness and ultimately its end. And and first, I want to look at what causes this heinous thing, sloth. Slothfulness, first and foremost, comes from a misunderstanding of who God is and what the gospel does. When we begin to labor... When we begin to work unto the Lord with the intention of meriting something that he will reward or meriting something that he will consider righteous based upon our own working, I assure you, you will not labor unto the Lord. We do not work for our righteousness. The law might spur you for a moment, but it will not spur you forever. Only Christ will do that. Only a love unto God, only an appropriate view and understanding of Him and a love unto Him will actually birth a long-lasting faithfulness to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. So often I see men looking unto the law with the intention of saying, ah, this will birth obedience. No, 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 no. The intention as you look at the law with the intention of birthing obedience in you is not first and foremost to birth obedience. Your major intention nine times out of 10 is not obedience, but a self-righteousness that will not produce the righteousness of God. Dear saint, when we labor unto the Lord, we must labor unto the Lord. We must understand that he is the king and we must have an appropriate view of him. Oftentimes I hear saints consider that God is waiting over them to smite them. And it's incredible. As they're waiting for God to smite them, they are rarely laboring unto him. Did you not hear this morning? What is it that spurs us up to love and to good works? What is it that warms our souls? It is not fear. No, fear has to do with punishment. But brothers and sisters, we've been delivered from that. No, we labor because we love him. We adore him, we delight in him. And as we delight in him and as we long to obey him, we aim to have an appropriate view of who God is and what the gospel has done in us. Dear saints, our feet are actually free from those old shackles and they have been fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And as they are fitted with the readiness of gospel and peace, it's almost as if the conclusion of the armor of God is go and serve your king. In the midst of all that he has provided, in the midst of all of the love that he has given, in the midst of the provision of Christ himself, go and serve your king. But when we do not have an appropriate view, we do not have an appropriate understanding of our God in the gospel of Christ, we will not serve him faithfully. We will be this foolish, wicked, slothful servant who would look back at our king and say this, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Perish the thought, saints. No, we labor unto our king with an appropriate view of Christ and the gospel. Furthermore, slothfulness comes from lesser affections, ultimately idolatry. Richard Sibb said this, and this is, a beautiful, well, well-worded statement. A stream cut into many channels runs weakly and is unfit to carry anything. You wonder why you are not fervent in zeal 
unto the things of God. My first question, dear saint, is are you fervent in zeal for something else? I rarely find a man or woman who has no zeal about them whatsoever. I rarely find a Christian who actually does nothing all day, every day. There is a zeal within them. Dear saint, if you find yourself, and remember this, you are finite. Your, your abilities, your affections, your desires, your worship, all finite. You do not, you are not a bottomless pit. You need you run dry. And the reality is that if you are giving your worship and your service unto another, you are giving the worship that is due Christ that is given unto serving him to something else. You have divided yourself. And ultimately, what does that lead to? It leads to a slothfulness in regard to the things of God. And so hear me, brother and sister, murder your idols. Do not treat them gently, light them on fire and watch them burn and rejoice over their destruction. Because anything that we do not give unto him, we are giving to something else. We must not be a divided stream. We must give ourselves wholly into the service of God. And as we give ourselves wholly into the service of God, slothfulness seems to wane. But when we give ourselves into various different affections and desires, we give ourselves over to idolatry and we do not serve our king appropriately. We are given over to slothfulness. And then I see this from time to time, especially in ministers of God. Those who serve the Lord and are not permitted to see the fruit. And hear me, dear saint, nine times out of 10, you are not permitted to see the fruit. There are labors that you will go into that you will never see the other side of. But that is largely irrelevant. Because our primary intention is not to see the harvest. Our primary intention is to serve the Lord. But when we don't see the fruit, or perhaps it is that we have been wounded in some particular way by those whom we have served, oftentimes what happens is we begin to recoil. And that's basically the understanding of the word slothful. It is the idea that there is service abounding in front of me. And instead of diligently pushing into it, my response is not to go forward, but to recoil at the opportunity to serve our great God and King. Dear Saint, when we don't have the privilege of seeing and beholding the fruit, it is no reason for us to be lackluster in our service unto him. Why? We see Paul sow and Apollos watered, but the reality is that God gives the growth. We labor unto the Lord regardless whether we see fruit or not, because serving the Lord is the end. It is the goal. It is the delight of the human heart. And so perhaps it is that you find yourself slothful because you misunderstand the gospel and you do not understand the great God in which we serve. Or perhaps it is that there is some form of idolatry in your life that must be put to death. Or perhaps it is that you have never once seen fruit from all of your labors. Dear Saint, all of that, all of that must be put to death. It prevents you from serving your king. And here's the goal. If we understand slothfulness rightly, then we will see it as heinous because the reality is we see slothfulness nowadays as some minor vice. It's not a minor vice. It's a sin against the holy God. We do not downgrade trespass. When we understand slothfulness as something that is keeping me on the couch as opposed to serving my great God and king, our response should be, it has to die. We go back to Romans 8 and we say, put it to death by the spirit. We wage a holy war against that because we long for obedience unto our king. But can I give you just a couple of ways the scripture speaks of slothfulness? Maybe to grow our hatred for such a wicked vice. Proverbs speaks to this perhaps more so than anything else or anywhere else in the scriptures. Pride, sexual morality, the greed, and then sloth, it seems to be mentioned over and over again in the Proverbs. Let me read this to you. Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent, same word, is richly supplied. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Proverbs 26, 15 through 16, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. I really am asking you, picture this. Picture this. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. 
Is that not grotesque? I mean, sincerely. And we're speaking here in Proverbs of a principle, an application to not be lazy, not be a sluggard. And, and that's really primarily dealing with natural things. But brothers and sisters, when we're looking at this in the New Testament, when we're seeing this in Romans chapter 12, we're saying that we're dealing with spiritual realities here. What is the spiritual reality of the sluggard burying his hand in the dish and it wears him out to such a degree that he can't bring it back to his mouth? Do you see how this seemingly sneaks upon an individual? No one starts with such sluggardness that they cannot reach their hand in the jar and bring it back to their mouth. It starts with but a moment of a lack of discipline in serving our great God and King, of a lack of love unto Him. And then it perpetually goes to such a point where you have reached this moment of absolute ruin. Lloyd-Jones says this, anyone with pastoral experience will know that it is the sluggish Christian who will eventually become the diseased Christian. There is a reason that your elders, when we talk to you, ask you about your service unto the Lord. There's a reason that we ask you about your time in the scriptures. There's a reason that we ask you about your fellowship with God. And most certainly, it's because we love you. We want to experience and to enjoy those things with you, but it is also because these are wonderful preventatives to becoming a diseased, lazy, slothful Christian. Because Lloyd-Jones is absolutely right. A sluggish Christian does eventually become a diseased Christian. And do you know what I notice over and over again in this state of affairs? The diseased Christian is very difficult to bring reproof and correction to because they have grown so accustomed to their slothfulness, their lack of zeal unto God, that it almost needs to be shocked back to life. And dear saint, the reality is that as we see this concept of a sluggard, a, a slothful life, I pray that your immediate response is to say, Lord, may it never be. May I never be slothful in the service of my king. May I long to obey him, to delight in him, to rejoice in him. And in the midst of all of those things, I assure you, it is incredibly rare, an oddity as it were, for someone to go from a faithful following after the Lord, zealous unto his service, to instantly to a diseased Christian. No, brothers and sisters, we labor unto the Lord. We delight in obedience and in zeal. And then lastly, in the midst of this particular context, let me tell you what slothfulness does in regard to the local body. Slothfulness refuses fellowship. It refuses it. It's hands in the jar, but it certainly can't get it back. There's just a little too much to do this week than to fellowship with the saints of God. Slothfulness is often evidenced first and foremost by a refusal, by a refusal to gather for Christian worship. There's a reason that we check on you when we see you absent on the Lord's day. It's because these are ordinary means of grace that you come and that you eat and that you are nourished by. We want you to participate and to enjoy these things because we want you to be healthy. We want you to enjoy the things of God and grow in your zeal to follow him and to serve him. Sloth slothfulness refuses to fellowship. And then slothfulness refuses to express its gifts. Going back up to our previous section, there is a call, there is a responsibility for the Christian to give ourselves over to one another. And I assure you, slothfulness gives itself to no one. Slothfulness simply pleases itself first and foremost. It is not until we view others more important than ourselves and the joy that we have in serving our King that we will gladly give ourselves to others. Slothfulness is a wicked, heinous enemy and we must long to put it to death. So here perhaps is the question. Perhaps it is you're saying, okay, slothfulness is heinous, it's wicked. How is it that I war against slothfulness in the Christian life? How is it that I go from being slothful to diligently serving my king? And let me say it this way. A slothful Christian is a cold Christian. That there is something that they have barred themselves from. There is something that they have removed from them. And it's like a reptile in winter. The sluggard must be warmed before he will ever be diligent to serve the Lord. 
He must be warm, which is no surprise in the midst of our immediate context because what you actually see here in this language of Romans 12, 11 is do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. I love this language. It is an idiom that is ultimately being utilized here. That phrase to be fervent in spirit is literally to boil in the inner man, to be warm, to find yourself aglow even. And when you're considering what it actually means to go from being a sluggard to being diligent in your service unto the Lord, I will tell you, you will not go from a sluggard to diligent unless something warms your soul. So how, how can I be warmed? How is it that I go from being cold? And perhaps it is, dear saint, that you are sitting here today and you find yourself to be cold and callous. And perhaps it is that you feel yourself to be a bit distant from God himself, delighting in Christ, and you find yourself to grow in laziness. And you ask the question, what must I do to feel the warmth of the spirit of God again in me? First and foremost, let me say this. You must be born again before anything that I am about to say has real ramifications for you. Hear what the language of the scriptures say in Romans chapter eight, verses 10 through 11. But if Christ is in you, that's the prerequisite. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There is no means for you to muster this up in some natural way. Perhaps it is you're sitting here and you're saying, I have been carnal my whole life. I have served the, I have served the world every moment of every day. Hear me. You must be born again. The spirit of God must indwell you, regenerate you, change you, bring you from death to life. There is no warmth in you. You sit in the state of your first father, Adam. He lost life in the garden and you're dead in your trespasses and sins. But praise be to God that through the spirit, he might light the wonderful fire of Christian service unto you by believing in and casting yourself on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then and only then will real life flood the soul. But then secondly, for the Christian, we warm ourselves by this very same fire. We warm ourselves by the very same fire that lit it in the first place. We must never, dear saint, we must never Remove ourselves from the warmth of Christ himself. If you want to serve the Lord faithfully, I would encourage you, if you want to be warm, if you want your spirit aglow, then find yourself sitting in the light of Jesus Christ. Look unto him, stand in all of him, see all the beauty in him. And then and only then will there'll be faithful Christian service. Then diligence will be truly born because men labor for that which is beautiful. And we see him, and as we see him, we behold him. Even thinking of our worship this morning, of considering the love of God, how can you not be warmed by the love that began before the world did? By the love that sent the Son while you were yet a sinner? By the love that will last throughout the expanse of eternity? I can think of no warmer fire than the love of God in Christ. Perhaps it is that you feel as though your spirit is not a boil or a glow dear saint, then I would encourage you to flee to Christ, to sit in his light, to dwell in his warmth, and to rejoice. Go to the fountain. You say your spirit's dry? Go to the fountain of grace. And as you go to the fountain of grace, brothers and sisters, has it ever been empty? Have you ever plumbed the depths and found that there was no water left in that wonderful well of Christ? No, dear saint, he is an inexhaustible fount of good. He always is supplying our needs. He fuels our faithfulness. And as we see and enjoy him, then and only then will the fervency of spirit be revitalized and renewed. And hear me, perhaps it is this day you say, ah, but I feel a glow already. Praise be to God. Don't ever stop going to the fount. Because the reality is it is... Often in the moments where I feel so disconnected that I find myself needing to flee back to Christ, I should have never left that spot in the first place. Always sitting in his light, sitting in his warmth. It is in his presence that your soul will be set aboil and ablaze, just as Moses' face glowed after meeting with God on the mountain, but in a far deeper way. 
Moses' face was lit for but a time, and it was lit in an external way. For us, dear saint, as we sit and enjoy Christ, as we grow in a fervency in our spirit, we glow from the outside, from the inside out. We are changed from one degree of glory to another. And what must we do? We must do the same thing that we are constantly commanded to. We are called to run to Christ. And as we run to Him and delight in Him and rejoice in Him, then fervency of spirit will be born. Please, brothers and sisters, oftentimes men will give you gimmicks. They will even give you labors of things to do so that you might have some emotional response. And hear me, I'm not requesting, I'm not encouraging you to go and seek an emotional response. I'm not. I'm telling you to go and seek Christ. Go and seek him. Go delight in him. Go find that in him, he is always giving warmth. He is always providing nourishment and there's always a great security in him. And there, and there alone, will true fervency of spirit be born. And if I could ask you for just a moment, for those of you especially who find yourself a bit cold, do you sit and dwell there? Perhaps it is that slothfulness has truly taken hold and you feel that cold and callous heart. You feel the, a lack of fervency, a lack of diligence unto the Lord. Do you stay there? Do you just sit in this malnourished state of affairs? Or do you go to your knees? We treat, we treat this callousness, this coldness with more severity than we do cancer. We do not wait, do we, with a diagnosis? When you feel callous and cold, does Christ not d delight to warm his people? Has he not said that he is the bread of life? Why would you wait? Why would you shiver outside when such warmth and glory is within? And I would plead with you, saints, if you feel this way, if you feel that there's no desire to serve him, no warmth inside, do not delay. Why would you hesitate? Why would you give a moment to such a heinous thing to feel at enmity with your God? Because in reality, dear saint, if you be in Christ, that enmity is not even real. No. Flee to him on your knees, dear saints. Do not give any hesitation. Flee to him. We are far too gentle with a cold heart. No, saints. We do not live in this state of affairs. We flee to him who is ever providing warmth. It is a tragic thing when we have reached a point of such coldness of heart that we do not have the ability to reach up and grab hold of Christ. But praise be to God, he always grabs hold of us. Because the reality is when you fail, when you falter, he will not leave you in that state. But hear me, you would be a fool to say that I will delay. No, we do not delay. We say, I am cold and I am callous and we flee to him. We go to him and we always find in him a perfect fire for warmth. Never delay. Never allow yourself to sit in that sluggish position up until the point you become diseased. No, saints, we run to an endless, perfect fount. Flee to Christ and be warmed. Forgive me. Pastorally, there are few things that break the heart of your elders than to see a saint who has grown cold and sluggardly. And we give them everything we can. We preach the gospel to them. We give them the ordinary means of grace, and yet they are content to stay in their state. We do not stay in that state. And I would plead with you even now, repent and run to Christ. Be warmed, be well fed in him. And then go serve your king. Because that's the conclusion of this whole trajectory. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be diligent unto the service of God. Be warmed, have your spirits aglow and go serve your king. Listen to what the text says. In verse 11, 
Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. What I want to do now is I want to say, I want to work through the various ways we serve him because what I need us to understand is service unto God is not just the elder's responsibility nor the deacon's. Service unto God is the responsibility of every Christian. We fervently, diligently, with great warmth and glad-hearted, we serve him. How is it that we serve him? I'd like to start with maybe one. We serve him in our obedience to the great commission. Matthew 28 is quite clear, is it not? That all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, this is the command to his disciples to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We serve him by our obedience unto his commandments. And this one in particular, we serve him by being obedient to the great commission to go and to preach the gospel to the nations and not just preach the gospel to the nations. We go longing to see souls converted and teaching them to obey the Lord Jesus Christ just the way that we are called to obey. But it is not just in our obedience to the Great Commission. We serve him as we give ourselves over for the encouragement of the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. We serve him as we give ourselves to the local church. And what a beautiful thing it is, isn't it? When someone diligently and warm-heartedly gives themselves to the church for its building up and for its good. It is a wonderful, it is a warming thing. It is iron sharpening iron, most certainly. We serve him, hear me, not just in these realms inside of the church, but we also serve him faithfully when we love our wives like Christ loves the church. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You are called to obey Jesus in your home. You're called to obey Jesus in your home. You are called to serve him faithfully in your home. Or let's go further, shall we? Wives, serve him when they respect and submit to their husbands. Colossians 3.18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. We are called to obey the Lord Jesus Christ in our home. And hear me, what a great joy it is that he has given us the privilege of obeying and ordering our lives after such a magnificent master. Serve me in the home. Children, let's not exclude you, shall we? Children serve him when they honor their parents. Ephesians 6, one through three. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Obedience to your parents is serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an active way that you obey the Lord, that you serve him in the way that you obey your parents. And I would encourage you to do so with diligence and warm-heartedly. We serve the Lord in in the realm of the home. And then we serve him and we care for our local neighbors. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before men. And oh, that our light would be a glow, that it would be a boil in us so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. We serve him day in and day out. We serve him when we care for the church. We serve him when we care for those who are in the world. We serve him when you are faithfully laboring in the workplace. When you go to work, it is not a vain effort. No, listen to what it says, Colossians 2. Forgive me, Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing this, that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Saints, if you find yourself in the workplace, do not see it as a, as a temporary or a vain labor. No, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You are laboring unto him. And oh, how we need to recapture this mentality. When we labor, we labor unto him. There is no job for the Christian that is vanity. No, we go forth serving our king. We do so fervently, diligently, warm-heartedly. We serve him in all of these areas. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What is left exempt from this command? In what area of the Christian life are we not called to serve him? It seems as though he has been exhaustive, doesn't it? There is a danger when we hear this phrase of serve the Lord that we might relegate it to particular areas of our life. God has not done that. When he says serve the Lord, he means in all-encompassing way. When we serve him, we serve him in every area of our life. Nothing is vanity. Nothing is, is, is being passed over in our Lord's command here. And then 
to maybe wrap it up, Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That God has prepared each and every opportunity for us to serve him, for us to diligently and fervently serve him. And dear saints, praise be to God that he has given us such wondrous opportunity. Did he need us? No. And yet by his grace, he has laid out, prepared beforehand means of service unto him. And he has invited us to walk in them. Praise be to God that he has invited me to walk in service unto him and enabled me to serve him. Because apart from his giving, apart from him giving life in the first place, there would be no means for me to serve him because it would all be flesh giving birth to flesh. There's not a single area of the Christian life. We serve the Lord. And I want to pay close attention for just a moment to that word, the Lord. We do not have two masters. We do not have two masters. The scriptures make it clear that no one can serve both God and money. And you can introduce any type of idol inside of that place of money. But I assure you, dear saint, you cannot serve both. And there's only one who bought you with his blood. We are called to serve the Lord and we do so gladheartedly and warmly and we do so because it is our desire to obey him. But I want to show you really quickly how all of these blend together, how sluggishness being put to death, how fervency in spirit continues to grow and how obeying our Lord all mingle. This is Hebrews chapter six, verses nine through 12. If you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, previously he has just dealt with one of the great warning passages warning us to not forsake the gift of salvation that God has given us. But then he says this in Hebrews 6, 9 through 12. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that, or in order that, you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Listen to this. We are sure. Why is it that the writer of Hebrews says we are sure of these things? The reason that he says that they are sure of these things, things belonging to salvation, is because he has seen the works of those who he is writing to. Dear saints, being in the faith, being born again does always, hear me, always produces faithful living. Perfectly, no but it does mean that we obey him. It does mean that we delight in him. It means we're glad to see sin put to death. And he looks at that and he says, we are sure of these things. And then he goes on really in verses 10 and 11. He says, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, zeal, diligence. Why? To have the full assurance of hope. The greatest ground of assurance for the Christian life is first and foremost, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Hear me before I go any further. You want assurance? You want rest and comfort? You look to Christ and you see him complete everything necessary for your salvation. You see sin atoned for. You see righteousness clothing you. But the second is obedience unto him. Listen to what it says. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, diligence to have, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. You hear what he's doing here? He's saying the ground of your assurance, if you've read through Hebrews, is because Christ is best. It's because he's accomplished the work. He's the better prophet, priest, and king. That's what he's laying out for us. And then he's saying, but uh, another ground of assurance is that you are obedient unto him, that you are loving, that you are submitting to the headship of Christ. And then it goes forward. And here's what's so interesting about this. Is, this assurance, this obedience unto our God that births assurance leads us to what? In order that you may not be sluggish. A lack of assurance in the Christian faith does not birth fidelity. Assurance births fidelity. 
assurance first and foremost in Christ's finished work and the assurance that God births in us as we aim to be obedient unto him. This full assurance, this language of chapter, of verse 12 in chapter six of Hebrews. So that is direct translation in order that you may not be sluggish. Full assurance of the Christian faith, confidence in the position in which you sit based upon Christ's finished work is the primary way to conquer sluggishness. Rest in your king. But the last thing that I would bring to your attention is the joy of serving the Lord. Psalm 127, one through two. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who built it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. When we labor unto the Lord, none of our labor is vanity. There's a great frustration when we view the labor that we give as vanity, as mist in the wind, as air. They're saying it is not so when we serve the Lord. When we serve the Lord, not an ounce of what we do is done so in vanity. As a matter of fact, I think Matthew 6, 19 through 21 actually lays out for us what it actually means. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for, they, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Dear Saint, when we labor unto the Lord, we labor unto the Lord knowing that the labor that we give will not be in vain. It will not be destroyed. And then lastly, Hebrews 12, 28, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. The great joy of the Christian life, the great joy of serving the Lord with diligence and warmth is we know that every single one of those labors are not in vain. They are not in vain. You killing your sin in private is not in vain. You suffering well to the glory of God is not in vain. The times that you preach the gospel and you hear no response from the soul who you preached it to, it is not in vain. You loving your wife is not in vain. You laboring in the workplace, it is not in vain. He has made all things, all things in such a way that we can serve him and give glory to him in them, in such a way that nothing will perish. None of this is vanity if we know the Lord. And so, dear saint, I would plead with you, perhaps it is that you think here for a moment, ah, I've been slothful, warm yourself by the fire of Christ and go serve your king. We have a wonderful and glorious opportunity to labor unto the Lord in such a way that all, all, is, will not be cast away. It will not be burned with fire. Instead, it will remain in that wonderful, unshakable kingdom of God. Let's pray together.